Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. We're looking at verses 19 through 28. Romans chapter 3. We've been looking at the rare jewel of justification by faith alone. And October 31st was celebrated the 500-year celebration of the Reformation. Here's what Martin Luther the reformer, had to say about justification by faith. This article is the head and cornerstone of the church, which alone begats, nourishes, builds, preserves, and protects the church. Without it, the church of God cannot subsist one hour. The church can't exist one hour. And I think Luther would agree, even one minute, without the doctrine of justification by faith. John Calvin, the French reformer, said this, Remove the knowledge of this doctrine, and the glory of Christ is extinguished, religion is abolished, the church destroyed, and the hope of salvation is utterly overthrown. Wow, what is this doctrine, justification by faith? Well, we find it in this key passage of Romans 3, 19 through 28. No other passage in Scripture quite lays out justification by faith alone as this passage. So, follow along as I read, just so we can get the passage in our minds again. Romans 3, 19 through 28. Now we know that whatever the law says... It speaks to those who are under the law. Why? So that every mouth may be closed. Every mouth is shut before God's justice, God's righteousness. All the world may become accountable to God. All the world is liable to God's prosecution because he's just and we're not. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. In other words, God says, here's the standard. We try to meet it. We always fall short of it. And so the standard reveals our sinfulness. But here's the good news. Verse 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction doesn't matter who you are, what tribe, what country, what people, what place you come from. Justification is for all those who believe. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 24, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation, a satisfaction in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It's excluded. But what, by what kind of law? Of works? No, but by a law of faith. And here's the summary of the, of the argument. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. In this passage, there's a lot to unpack. And we've looked at seven reasons why justification is by faith alone. 
And we looked at the last four last week, and we're going to look at the final three this week. And so let's look at these, and just by way of review, the seven reasons are these. Number one, the meaning of justification. Justification is a verdict that declares us righteous and not a process that makes us righteous over time. So God is a divine judge, and He has two verdicts that He can render. He can render people condemned and declare them condemned, or He can render a verdict of you're justified. You're declared right in my sight. And so justification is vocabulary from the courtroom. And it's basically a declaration. Uh, it's a twofold just as if. When God declares you justified, it's just as if you've never sinned, but it's also just as if you've kept the entire law completely. Now, that's just mind-blowing. So I'm not, I go from a negative 10, not to a zero, but to a plus 10 in God's sight. That is amazing. And Roman Catholicism and other works religions, they see being justified as a, a process over time. That you believe in God, but then you have to work really hard and cooperate with God. And finally, at the end of the life, you'll find out whether or not you're really right in God's sight. But the Bible teaches something completely different. The Bible teaches that we receive justification as a gift because God loves to justify the ungodly. And guess what? Everybody in this room qualifies. That's good news. Okay? And that brings us to the second thing, the need for justification. If that's what justification means, the need for it is obvious. Sin is universal and divine condemnation is inescapable. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Our mouths are all shut before the divine judge. We don't have a case to argue. We don't have a leg to stand on. God, if He's going to be just, is going to declare us all condemned. And His judgment's inescapable. So that means only one thing. Number three, the source of justification must be by grace alone. Justification must be by grace alone. It's going to have to be a free gift that's freely given by God to the undeserving, the ungodly, and the unworthy. Because here's the thing. Our works only earn us one thing. A verdict of what? Condemnation. And so if we're going to be declared justified by God, it's going to be have to, a gift that He gives us. But that brings up the question, what's the basis for justification? In other words, how can a just God declare unjust people just and He remain just? Did you get that? How can a righteous God say unrighteous people are righteous and He remains righteous? Well, the answer is the basis for justification is Christ alone. Justification is made possible by His sinless righteousness and the satisfactory work as, our sin, as, as the sinner's substitute. We just saw, as we read in Romans 3, two words, propitiation and redemption. And in propitiation, we deserve eternal punishment and Jesus took it for us on the cross. And He satisfied God's wrath. And redemption is that we owed a debt to God because of our sin, and Jesus paid it with His perfect righteousness. So, 
Some people, when they hear this doctrine of justification, they call it just legal fiction. In other words, God's just kind of making this up as he goes. It's not really true. There's, there's no fact. There's no basis to us. But listen, it's all on the basis of a divine Savior. Jesus became a man and literally died on the cross and literally satisfied God's wrath. It's factual. It's historical. And it's a legal reality. But this number five, number five really makes it a reality. And this is the fifth reason why justification is by faith. And it's the exchange of justification. The exchange of justification, which is just another way of saying this theological word, imputation. Imputation. And because that's a scary, weird word that you don't usually use, think of it as a great exchange. The imputation of justification. Let's look again at 20, verses 25 and 26 in your Bibles. Romans 3, 25 and 26. Referring to Jesus as our redemption, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness, because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Now, so far we're looking at kind of these big theological words. Redemption is a word from the marketplace. Redemption is when you would go to the market and you would buy a slave. You would redeem a slave. It's a word from the marketplace. But there's also propitiation. That's a word from the temple. You would offer a sacrifice that would satisfy God's wrath. So it's, it's temple words. Here in imputation, we've got a word from the banking world. It's a word of accounting. Okay, And here's what it means. Imputation simply means to count or reckon or credit. To count, reckon, or credit to someone's account. Okay, that's all it means, credit. To count, reckon, or credit something to someone's account. Does that make sense? And something can be credited to your account in one of two ways, right? It can be credited either as something, basically everybody has an account and you have debts, debits, and you've got assets, right? Or credits. Am I right? I'm not, I'm not an accountant, but am I okay on that? Okay. And so you can have things credited to your account one of two ways. It can be credited as something you earn or deserve as a wage. Or it can be credited as a gift, something someone else worked for, and they give you as a gift. So you can have things credited to your account in one of two ways. Hey, I worked for it, I earn it, and the bank credits it to your account. Or someone gives you a gift, you didn't earn it, you didn't deserve it, and they give it to you as a gift, and it goes into your credits to your account. Look in your Bibles. Turn to Romans 4.4. 4. You may not even have to turn in your Bibles at all. Look at Romans 4.4. 4. Both of these ways are made clear in Romans 4.4. 4. 
Now to the one who works, his wage is credit is not credited as a favor. It's not credited as a gift. The one who works, it's credited as a wage. Why? Because you worked for it. You didn't you you deserved it. But what is due? This is what you're due. But this says that you can get credited for something you did not work for. And that is a gift. You did not work for it. That's just bad. All right. Does that make sense? All right. So the Bible clearly teaches this idea. Now, the only way that we're going to be credited with righteousness if we're sinners, is through substitution. So let's look at that next point. Substitution is absolutely necessary for the ungodly to be declared righteous by imputation. The only way that we're going to be credited with righteousness is somebody is going to have to do the work for us and give it to us as our gift. It's good. We need a substitute. Now, turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, in verses 9 through 10. I want you to see these verses. God, in His great love, has sent His Son to be our substitute. Look at 1 John 4, verses 9 through 10. By this is the love of God, by this the love of God was manifested in us that God sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Through Him. He's our substitute. In this is love. Not that we love God, but God the Father loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. He's the satisfaction. He is the satisfaction for our sins. So look in your notes, because I want you to really... I, I include this because I want you to see it. Out of a heart of love, the Father and the Son made sure that on the cross, the Son was justly punished in our place and for our unrighteousness. And... His righteousness was offered up in our place for our payment. And so what you have is, you have a cross in which Christ died. So you have this cross, and what happened was, God credited or imputed our sin onto Christ. And then the good news is Christ's righteousness is credited to those who believe by faith alone. Does that make sense? All right. So, and the Father did this out of a heart of love. So sometimes, here, here's why I'm making a big point of this. Sometimes people get the wrong idea is, is God's the meanie, the bad guy, the angry guy, and Jesus is the loving guy, and Jesus is trying to convince God the Father to be a nice guy and forgive people. And the reality is the Father, out of His great love, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes on Him should not perish 
but have everlasting life. And so he credited our sin to Christ's account, and then Christ's righteousness is credited to those by faith alone. So let's go back to verse 25 again. Go back in your Bibles, Romans 3, 25 again, because I want you to see this kind of hard passage. It's kind of hard to understand what's going on. Notice what it says, verse 25. Here's the idea of 25 through 26. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned, God has been passing over the sins of mankind and never fully pouring out his wrath on their sin until this present time when Christ came. So he's been passing over the the sins of mankind. And finally, when Christ came, he poured out all his wrath for our sin on Jesus Christ. And it's on the basis of this redemption This propitiation, this substitution, it's on that basis, on the cross, that God is able to be both just and justifier. He's justly paid for our sin, but he's also declaring us right based on Christ's righteousness. So, here's what I want you to realize. Imputation plus substitution is what brings about justification. Justification is the great exchange. It's the great exchange where our unrighteousness is credited as Christ's and Christ's righteousness is credited as ours by faith alone. Wow. Now, we could read Romans 4 and see this this awesome truth, but here's what I want you to see. Turn your Bible, 2 Corinthians 5.21, because probably Romans 4 explores this whole thing, but we just can't delve into that. But I want you to see 2 Corinthians 5.21. I also have it in your notes, because it's the clearest and simplest verse on the great exchange in all the Bible. 2 Corinthians 5.21. He, and that refers to God, made him, and that refers to Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Do you see the exchange? We've got sin, and our sin is given to Christ. Christ has righteousness that we need, and His righteousness is given to us. It's the great exchange. Wow. That's a big deal. Now, what's even more wild, let me see if I can write this up here, is imputation kind of covers the whole history of mankind. Because here's the reality. Let me see if I can do this. Adam was the first sinner, right? So Adam's sin is credited to all who are in Adam. And who would that cover? Who does that cover? Everyone. Okay, so Adam's sin is credited to all who are in Adam. And therefore, everyone who is born is born a what? Sinner. And the way you know they're born a sinner is everyone ends up choosing to do what? To sin. All right? So that's what happens. But here's the good news. Is that on the cross, all our sin is credited to Christ 
on the cross. That's the second act of imputation. So Adam's sin is all credited to all of those who are in him. But God, out of his great grace and out of his great love, all of our sin is credited to Christ on the cross. And then the third imputation is this. All of Christ's righteousness and payment for sin. Okay, so all of Christ's righteousness and his forgiveness is credited to all who, gosh, I'm, who are in him, but how are they in him? By faith alone. So does that mean everybody gets it? No. Only those who are in him. And how do I get in him? By faith alone. So it's a threefold imputation. So you may not like this big word because it's a big word, but you better like what it represents. So way back at the beginning of creation, Adam's sin is credited to all who are in him. And then at the cross 2,000 years ago, during that time, God is passing over the sins of mankind, passing over, not pouring out his wrath that they justly deserve. And then at that time when Christ came as the perfect God-man, he credits all our sin to Christ on the cross, though he's perfectly righteous. And because he was, he's the only man to raise from the dead, and it, it, it proved to all that he was righteous, and he paid the debt of sin, now all of Christ's righteousness is credited to all who are in him. What do you think? Does that help you? Does that break it down, help you understand it? That's the beauty of imputation. Now, how do we respond to that? I love Philippians or Romans 6:11. This word to reckon or to count is found in Romans 6:11. Our response, if you are one of those, if you're here today and you're one of those who by faith alone have placed your faith in Jesus Christ and you have been credited with his righteousness. Here's the good news. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Count what God has done to be true of you. I am dead to sin, but I'm alive to Christ in Him by faith alone. All right? Or you can listen to the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3, 7 to 9. He says this, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I counted, same idea, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, dung, trash, so that I may gain Christ." and may found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived by the law, done by my good works, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. He's saying, look, all my religious religiousosity, all my good works, all my sincerity, I count it all as trash so that I could be counted righteous 
in Him. A righteousness I can't attain, I don't deserve, I'm unworthy of, but one which I have received as a gift from God. Beautiful stuff. Beautiful stuff. I like what Tom Schreiner, a a theologian and professor, says this. Oh, the sweet exchange. Oh, the incomprehensible work of God. Oh, the unexpected blessings that that the sinfulness of many should be hidden in one righteous man while the righteousness of one should justify many sinners. You say, how is this all possible? The great exchange and every other blessing you can get from God is ours due to our union, our union with Christ by grace alone through faith alone. The only way you're going to get any of this is you've got to be united with Christ and what he did on the cross. So, is it any wonder in 1 Corinthians 1, I love this verse, in studying and doing this study, I've, I've really latched hold of 1 Corinthians 10, 30-31. And I love how the New American Standard translates it. By His doing, by His doing, you are in Christ Jesus. There's the union. Who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness, that's justification, and sanctification and redemption. In other words, everything that God has for us comes through Christ and it's by God's doing. So that just as is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. That's God. God gets all the glory for this. God, because he's the one doing this. What's our contribution to this? We have one contribution to this whole process. What do we contribute? Our sin. (laughs) I'm so glad I made God's work of redemption possible. What did you contribute? I'm a sinner. I sinned. And out of love, God put all this in action. That's my contribution, sin. That's nothing to boast of. Who's our boast in? Our boast is in the Lord. Because it's by His doing. It's by His doing that I'm in Him. All I come is to, to Him is by faith. And that brings us to number six. We're finally to faith. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you that if you don't understand one through five, then more than likely your faith is not a saving faith. You say, you mean a little kid's got... No, I don't mean that. I'm just saying to really understand faith, we've got to understand our sinfulness. And we've got to understand our need for Christ's righteousness. Or we're not sure what we're putting our faith in. So let's look at it. The means of justification clearly is faith alone. It's faith alone. Now, I could read the whole Bible to you to prove that, but let's just settle for verse 22. So look at Romans 3 and look at verse 22. Even the righteousness of God or the righteousness from God, which is through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, For there is no distinction. How do you get in on justification by means of faith? Drop down to verse 28. For we maintain that a man is justified by what class? Faith apart from what? Works 
of the law. In fact, if you look at verses 21 through 31 in your Bible, you can count faith is used eight times and believe one time. I think it's very clear. Over and over again, Paul makes it clear that faith is the means of being declared right in God's sight. So let's take a closer look at what faith alone means. So let's take a look at it. First of all, faith alone is the means of being justified. Faith alone. This is what the Apostle Paul means in Romans 1. Turn to Romans 1, 16 through 17. This is that great verse that Roman, uh, Roman Luther, that Martin Luther, that Martin Luther struggled with as a monk. Look at Romans 1. 16 through 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to, to faith. That means that from beginning to end, our Christian life is from faith and to faith. You don't start out with faith and then you start working hard. It's that's faith alone. You could just assume you could substitute in your Bible from faith to faith with just faith alone. And then it says, as it's written, but the righteous shall live by faith. The prophet Habakkuk meant that we are righteous. The righteous shall live by faith. Why? Because justification is by faith alone. This is what Martin Luther came to realize by the grace of God as he studied scripture alone. Here's what he said. He studied Romans 1 and 16 and 17, and whenever he saw the righteousness of God, he thought of how sinful he was. And he hated God, and he hated God's righteousness because he knew it was a standard that he couldn't measure up to. And so he would look at this this verse that says, the gospel reveals the righteousness of God, and he'd go, I hate that. And then he'd go and he'd, uh, fast for a couple more days. Or he'd go and he'd try to do pray more, right? And he tried to work harder. And the harder he worked, the more he knew he didn't measure up. Until one day, he saw faith to faith. And he saw the phrase, the righteous shall live by faith. And finally, by God's grace, here's what he says. I saw the connection between the justice of God and the statement that the just shall live by his faith. Then I grasped that the justice of God is that righteousness which by through grace and sheer mercy, God justifies us through faith. Thereupon, I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. He was set free. He's like, oh, it's not what I do. It's what he's done. It's faith in what he's done. He goes on, the whole scripture took on new meaning. And whereas before the justice of God had filled me with hate, now it became inexpressibly sweet in greater love. The passage of Paul became to me a gate into heaven. Wow. But as important as faith is, second point I want you to see, faith alone does not save us. Christ saves us by means of our faith. Sometimes we so emphasize faith, we get people to think, well, faith is what saves us. But listen, safe faith is merely the instrument. What 
saves us is Christ. We are not justified merely by faith alone, but by faith alone in Christ alone. It's not because of what faith is in and of itself. It's because of what it lays hold of. We're not saved because we believe, but by means of believing. And I think that's an important distinction. Listen to this. When when it comes to justification, faith is not a builder, but a beholder. It has nothing to give or achieve, and it has everything to receive. Faith isn't the basis of our justification. Faith comes to Christ with empty hands to receive what He has done. Faith is a hand not because it works, but because it receives. I love the hymn, The Rock of Ages. Listen to this. Here's what faith sings. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. That's what faith does. Naked, filthy, dirty, fleeing to the cross with empty hands. But that begs the question, what kind of faith receives justification? So let me, let's explore a little bit about what faith means. Faith alone is, the, is, is a saving faith that turns from all else to trust in Christ alone and results in a transformed life. So I want you to think about three T's there. Faith comprises a turning to trust for transformation. That's the components of saving faith. Saving faith, number one, involves a turning. You could write by their repentance. And I've got verses to show you that. We can't explore all those. But I want you to understand that, listen, if I'm a sinner, and basically what we do is we live a life of trying to justify ourselves from early on. You know what our kids do? They try to declare them right, themselves right to their parents, Right? Then they get in trouble at school, and what do they do? They try to declare themselves right to their teachers. And then you get a job, or you get married, and you declare yourself right to your spouse or your employer, right? And you're always trying to measure up. You're always trying to attain and reach the standard. And when your conscience gets you thinking about God, you're there thinking about Him, and you're saying, well, God, I'm going to trust my good works, And get your approval that way. Or I'm going to start going to church. That's a good one. If I start going to church. And I'm not only going to go to the worship service. I'm going to start going to the discovery hour. Right? That will really get your approval. And then if I'm really wanting to earn your favor. I'll start giving. And then I'll give a little more. Or at least more than the people that I know aren't giving much. And so we go through this idea, we're trusting. And what we've got to do to get saved, we've got to turn from all that. We've got to turn away from all our works. We've got to empty our hands of everything we bring to impress God. We've got to dump it all. That's repentance, turning from our sin, turning from our false gods, turning from anything that we would trust in ourselves. 
And what do we turn to? We turn, number two, saving faith is trusting. We turn in order to trust the one who has measured up. Amen? Who has always obeyed God's law perfectly in, in the letter of the law and the intent of the law. But here's what trusting is. Again, we don't understand these things. Trusting has three elements. Truth, true, and trust. An intellectual element, an emotional element, and a volitional element. So think about it this way. And probably the easiest way to show these things, and this is what I do when I uh, uh, share the gospel, is use a chair illustration. Because almost any time you're talking to someone, there's a chair available. And the idea is this. The component of trust, if I'm going to trust that this chair can hold me up, I've first got to know the truth that it has four legs and it's, it's, it's meant to hold me up. I have to know that. I have to know that this is a chair and it's going to hold me up. That's the truth. That's the information that I've got to have. But then I've got to look at that chair and think, in light of me and in light of that chair, I think it's true. I personally think this chair can hold me up. I believe that's true. This chair can hold me up. I believe that's true. The truth about this chair, I believe, is true for me. It can hold me up. But do you realize I have not yet trusted in that chair to hold me up? So I've got to take the truth of what this chair can do, hold me up, consider it true of me, and then I've got to sit down and trust that it's going to hold me up and I have to completely take my feet off the ground because if, if it, it can't be trusting the ground and the chair. It, 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 I now believe the truth that this chair can hold me up. It's true of me, but right now I'm totally trusting in this chair to hold me up. And that's the same way with Jesus Christ. Saving faith is not just knowing Jesus is God. It's not knowing. every. You can know everything on this board better than I do, and that's not faith. That's not trust. That's just truth. That's truth up there. And you can say that's truth is true. Maybe today the Holy Spirit is taking that truth and saying, man, that truth is true for me. I am a sinner. Christ died for me. I believe that's true. I'm getting emotionally involved in this. But until you trust in Him alone and set and turn away from all other trust, you don't have saving faith. Does that help? Because here's the reality. According to James, even the devil and his demons believe that Jesus is truly the Son of God, and they shudder. They emotionally know that that truth has impact on them. <laughs> That's scaring me. But they don't trust in it for their salvation. So I hope you see that. Now, number three, saving faith, that kind of faith, results in a transformation. Because when you trust and place your trust in Him, then Christ's righteousness is credited to you. And when you receive all that Christ is, it changes your life. Because God has taken up residence in your life. Remember 1 Corinthians 1, 30-31? By His doing you are in Christ who became to you not only wisdom 
but righteousness. And not only righteousness, but sanctification. In other words, you can't get justification without getting sanctification. And so if you say, hey, my sins are forgiven, I can live any way I want. And you can't tell me otherwise because I have faith in Christ. Well, it isn't saving faith because when you got justification, you got sanctification and your life will change. Now, will it be perfect? No. Will it will some days will you look more sinner than justified? Yeah. But the reality is your life is set apart. It's going to change. And that brings us to number seven, the goal of justification. The goal of justification. Look again at verse 27. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, but by a law of faith. Where is boasting? Who gets the glory? Here's what I want you to see. The goal of justification is good works to the glory of God alone. The goal of justification is good works to the glory of God alone. Let's break that down. Number one, faith alone saves, but saving faith is never alone. Now, this phrase was made famous by John Calvin, but Calvin didn't come up with it. The Holy Spirit did in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. So look in your Bibles to Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Saving faith, we're saved by faith alone, but saving faith is never alone. Look at Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you've been saved through faith, faith alone, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not a result of work, so that no one may boast. There's the glory. God gets the glory. Why? For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? What were you created for? Let me hear it. Good works. We're created. But is it our good works? No, it's the good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk with Him. Do you realize God had your sanctification laid out before you were even saved? Do you realize that God had a godly life prepared for you before you were even saved? So that when you were saved and He justified you and created you righteous, you already have good works to perform. And therefore to claim justification and not live a sanctified life. Now, many people confuse being justified by faith with being free to sin and not having to obey God's holy standards. But the fact that faith alone saves, but saving faith always results in a transformed life, was taught also by the Apostle James in James chapter 2. Now, in James chapter 2, many people think Paul and James are contradictory because Paul says you're justified by faith alone, and James seems to say you're justified by your works. By a faith that works, rather. By faith that works. And so are they counter to each other? And the reality is no. Paul is looking at people who want to say, look, faith plus work justifies me. And he, he says, no, it's faith alone. James is talking to people that say, now that I'm justified by faith, I don't have to work. I don't have to be godly. And he's saying, no, no, no. The proof that you're justified is your works that you do before people. Are you with me? Well, I try to break it down to this. You have it in your notes. 
Here's four ways to think about this. First of all, works alone do not equal justification. Can we agree on that? Is that good spiritual math? Secondly, faith plus works don't equal justification. Why? Because whatever we bring is sinful to the table. That's what Paul's talking about in Romans 3. But faith alone does not equal justification if we never have a changed life, if there's no works, godly works as a result of our faith. That's what James is talking about. So what does faith alone really mean? It means faith alone justifies us, but that justification results in a life of good works. That's about as good as I can do with the time I've got. Make sense? So here's the bottom line. Faith alone gives God all the glory because we have no reason to boast before God. We can't even boast in our good works. Why? Because God prepared them before we were even born. And I would put forth to you, He prepared them even before the creation of the world. Everything we do in the Christian life is by His doing. Amen? Okay, so here's, here's the deal. I wanted to end with some application because this has been heavy doctrine, I know. God gets all the glory and we have nothing to boast and we should boast in the Lord because justification by faith alone, number one, it humbles us. Amen? This, this is why, listen to me, this is why so many people, even so-called believers, oppose this teaching because it humbles us into the dust. God justifies us on the basis of our works? No, while we're still sinners. That's humbling. Christ, who knew no sin, became sin for us? That's humbling. And like Luther was fond of saying, we are justified and yet we're still sinners. That's humbling. Listen, I've said numerous times, that Luther said this doctrine is the doctrine by which the church stands or falls. But I want to say to you today that it's the doctrine that each one of us stands or falls by. Okay, It humbles us all. It humbles us all. So I don't know if the Lord is your righteousness today, but I would ask you to humble yourself, empty your hands of whatever you're trusting in, and lay hold of Christ in His righteousness today. Secondly, it assures us. This is such great news. Justification assures us. According to Romans 5, and I've listed the verses there for you, we have peace with God right now. We know that we're right with God. If someone said to you, if you died tonight, do you know for sure that you would enter into God's presence? You say, enter into God's presence when I die. I'm in His presence now, and I have peace with Him. And I am 100% sure of that now. Are you? And you say, well, I don't think you're that good a guy. You're right. I'm a bad guy, and you're a bad guy, but I know the good guy, and he's given me his righteousness. It assures us there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God's the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus. Is he who died? Yes, rather, who was raised, who's at the right hand, who also intercedes. Third, this truth motivates us. 
It motivates us. It motivates us for discipleship. Romans 12 says, By the mercies of God, present your bodies. What are those mercies? They all flow from justification. Evangelism. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because I, can't, I don't meet any sinner that God can't justify. It's the power of God by faith. It's the motivation for missions. Do you realize this great letter begins and ends with... It's a missionary letter. It's a missionary report letter. And he says, look, I've got to get to people that haven't heard this message because God justifies everyone the same way by faith. Every tribe, nation, language, and tongue. Number four, it changes us. God gets all the glory because justification by faith changes us. And so I give to you today This is a gift that's offered to the undeserving without distinction or exceptions. You can have it tonight, this morning. And it's received by believing sinners who hear this and place their faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. So I end with this. We can sing the words of this hymn. Not what my hands have done can save my guilty soul. Not what my laboring flesh has borne can make my spirit whole. Not what I feel or do can give me peace with God. Not all my prayers and sighs and tears can bear my awful load. Thy work alone, O Christ, can ease this weight of sin. Thy blood alone, O Lamb of God, can give me peace within. No other work save thine, no other blood will do. No strength save that which is divine can bear me safely through. Woo! That's just good news. Let's give him the glory. Let's give him the glory. Father, we pray to you. We have nothing to boast. We don't come in our own name. We don't come in our good works. We come in the powerful, righteous name of Jesus. And we say, to you be the glory. And I pray if anyone hasn't received this free gift, I pray that they would receive it right now and just turn to trust and be transformed. And Father, I pray that those of us that have this great treasure of justification by faith will not hoard it, will not grow apathetic, and will never cease to get over the glorious grace, the glorious gift, And share this good news with a world of people that haven't heard it, or if they've heard it, they haven't understood it, and they need to hear it again and again, just like we had to, until by your grace you break through and you impute your righteousness. You credit your righteousness to their empty, debt-filled account. And we give you the glory for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. A lot of heavy stuff, but it's what your eternal destiny's riding on.